Well, good morning. Why don't we take a minute and pray before we jump into our subject this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, even when we're in difficult circumstances, when we find ourselves in the fire, that you are right there with us, that you will not abandon us, O Lord. You haven't said that life would be easy. We recognize that sometimes it's hard, and we go through fiery times, and yet to know that you are with us, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you said you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And as we continue, Lord, today, this morning, we ask you to speak to us, especially as we look at your word and what it has to say about this very important subject. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Though it might seem a little bit odd to some, I've always been kind of fascinated by the wind. And what I mean by that is that the wind is so incredibly powerful sometimes, but you can't see it with your eyes. Uh, We can only see the effects of the wind, but we can't see the wind itself. And so if you're at home and you look out a window and, and you see a tree that's swaying back and forth, you can conclude that it's windy out there, even though you can't see the wind. You can see the power of the wind, the effect of the wind. And sometimes this wind can cause problems. Last Sunday evening, uh, it was very windy around the Morgantown, West Virginia area. And that morning, the next morning, our executive pastor sent me a couple pictures of some damage that took place here at the church facility. Let me show you those pictures. Now, maybe some of you are surprised to see these. You're wondering, well, how is it there could be this much damage to the church facility and you didn't know about it? Well, it's because we're all kind of stuck at home. But the wind can be very powerful, and I understand that the huge panel that blew away on the outside of our facility was held in place by hundreds of bolts. And yet sometimes the wind is that powerful, even though you can't see it, It is powerful enough to to cause this kind of damage. And of course, we weren't the only ones that faced damage because of the wind this past weekend. The wind caused some trees to be uprooted. It, It caused some homes and some businesses to sustain damage. And so the wind can be very powerful, but it's invisible. And of course, the wind doesn't just cause bad things to happen sometimes. It also causes good things to happen sometimes. Although I don't understand a lot about it, obviously our weather patterns are somehow related to the flow of air, this thing called wind, jet streams and things that determine the weather all over the world. And then of course you can harness the power of the wind. And so in West Virginia, even as I was driving to the church facility this morning, I saw the wind farm on the edges of the mountains there collecting or taking advantage of the power of the wind. And so you have this amazing force that's invisible and it's something that's powerful both for evil or for good. Today we're gonna begin a new series titled Angels and Demons. And I'm convinced that there are spiritual forces out there, strong spiritual forces that are invisible. That there's a spiritual reality there are beings called angels and demons and of course we know about God and the devil But there are these beings and there's an entire world out there that we can't see with our eyes and yet it's very, very powerful. The existence of angelic beings is confirmed all over in the Bible, beginning in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, going all the way to the last book of the Bible, 
Revelation, we read about these angelic beings, angels and demons, and the effect that they have on our world. Now, I recognize that some people have trouble believing that there are these, these beings out there that we can't see, especially the devil. About a year ago, someone came up to me and they asked me the question, Tim, you don't really believe that there's a being called Satan, do you? And I said, yes. And he said, well, I thought that that was just the name for evil. He thought it was just the personification of evil. He didn't view that the devil or Satan was an actual being. And I said, well, if we, if we take the Bible as the word of God, we can arrive at no other conclusion that there are indeed angels and there are demons and there is a demon called the devil. Now, I recognize again that some people have trouble believing that, accepting the reality or the presence of a devil. It's important we believe it though because we have an adversary and we need to be aware of our adversary. Now, I think some people deny the existence of a devil and I think that's a problem, but I think there's another problem we sometimes face when it comes to angels and demons And that is that I think sometimes we give them too much credit. And so sometimes I think people think, for example, that every sickness is caused by the devil, which it is not. So if someone sneezes, maybe it's because of the devil, you better say God bless you when that happens. They think that when people go through difficulties or trials, that every trial we face, every difficulty is because of the devil, which it is not. Or maybe they look at the fact that they give in to a particular temptation And instead of looking at it and concluding that they lacked self-control, they blame the devil. The devil made me do it, as the expression goes. And I think those thoughts are an error as well. And so we can give the devil too much credit. We can also give him a little bit too little credit. And there are misunderstandings we have about angels as well. Lots of questions people have about guardian angels, for example. What exactly is a guardian angel and what are seraphim and cherubim and what's the difference between them? Also, I think people have misunderstandings about this idea that they think that when somebody dies, he or she becomes an angel. And so occasionally I'll read in an obituary where someone will say so-and-so received their angel wings. Now, I don't know if they're just being kind of symbolic there or if they actually believe that happens, but we know from the Bible the people never become angels. Angels are an entirely different type of being that God created very different than people are. And so there are a lot of misunderstandings I think that people have related to this subject. The main thing that I'm hoping that people will walk away with today though is this, that angels and demons do exist and they impact our world. That's the main thought I'm hoping we walk away with this morning. Angels and demons do exist and they do impact our world. Now today, I'd like to just lay a foundation for the rest of the series, and I want to mention a couple things before I jump into our subject. The first is this, that although our whole series is going to be about angels and demons, I'm going to focus a speck more on the demon side of things or the devil side of things. And there are two reasons for that. One is that I I do think a lot of people have trouble believing that they exist. But second, there's a lot in the Bible related to them and the fact that they are our enemy. And so I think we need to be a little bit more prepared when it comes to demons and the devil than we do when it comes just to angels. The second thing I want to mention before I jump into it is that today's talk is going to be a little bit more informational than than inspirational. 
I have decided I'd like this morning to raise seven questions which I'm going to attempt to answer. Again, I want to be laying a foundation for the rest of the series. And the whole question, all the questions relate to this idea that angels and demons do exist and they impact our world. And so I just want to go through, I've organized today's talk behind these seven questions and I just want to go question by question, raise the question and then give you what I consider to be the answer to the question. The first question that I'd like to raise for us this morning is what is an angel? The Greek word that's used for angel in the Bible is the word messenger. And so an angel technically is a messenger or a sent one. Now sometimes a messenger or angel is sent with a message. You think of the example of Gabriel and Mary how the angel was sent with a message to Mary to tell her that she was going to conceive and have a child and name him Jesus. And so sometimes these angels, these messengers actually are coming with a message. Other times they're coming to accomplish something or do something. And both are true about angels, that they have messages and they also accomplish things. And again, they're found throughout the pages of the Bible. The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible notes this. The two major words translated angel appear almost 300 times from Genesis to Revelation. And so they're all over throughout the pages of the Bible. Now, I believe that God created the angels prior to the rest of creation. If you read about the creation account found in the book of Genesis, you go through the seven days of creation, there's really no reference to the angelic beings. And I think the reason that's the case is that they were already here from my perspective. The angels had already been created. Now, when we talk about angels, I want us to understand this also, that angel, or the word angel, is a general category, and then from within that category, there are types of angels. From within that category, we would have what we'd call good angels. Those are the ones that follow God's commands. And then there would be bad angels that we call demons or evil spirits, and that those are a subset of angels. And so usually in the Bible, when you read the word angel, almost always it is a reference to the ones, the angels that are serving God, that are carrying out his purposes. Not always. Sometimes the word angel in the Bible is a reference to an evil spirit, but most of the time it is a reference to those that I'd call the good angels, those who are serving God. And then you've got the demons. Demons are a subset of this larger category, and they're serving Satan. And so the bottom line is that angels, there are good angels, there are bad angels. Usually when you read about angels in the Bible, though, it's a reference to God's messengers. The second question I'd like to raise is this, what is a demon? Uh, Simply put, demons are angels that rebelled against God. Demons are these angels that decided they wanted to align themselves with Satan instead of God. According to the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, the English word demon is derived from the Greek daemon, which essentially means a divinity, a deity. In other words, they're a false god, a false deity, a demon. And of course, from a human perspective, demons would appear to be divine. They're what we would call, though, fallen angels. Now, just as these angels, all the angels, I believe, were created before Adam and Eve, I think 
a fall took place before Adam and Eve as well. In other words, these angels aligned themselves with Satan even before God had created Adam and Eve. Now, we don't know how many angels or demons there are, but some have speculated that about a third of the angels decided to follow Satan. And this comes from a reference in Revelation chapter 12. And so if you're taking notes, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4 seems to imply that about a third of the angels were cast down to the earth. Uh, There is a question whether or not that third is an event that took place in the past when they initially aligned themselves with the devil or if that third is going to happen in the future. But many scholars believe that a third of the angels decided to follow the devil and we call them demons. The third question I'd like to raise this morning is this, how is the angelic kingdom organized? And it appears that there is a clearly defined hierarchy when it comes to both angels and demons. There are angels and demons that have more authority than others have, and it's very, very structured. Paul talks about this, I believe, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Reading about Satan and his kingdom, Paul wrote, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Paul is saying here that a lot of the struggles we have that we think are involving another person are not really that. Our struggle is not ultimately against flesh and blood. He says it's against rulers, against authorities, against world powers of this darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And many biblical scholars agree that these are categories of demonic angels, that they're working in part, in conjunction with Satan's kingdom. And what I want us to understand about this is that they are well-organized. That, that Satan, when it comes to carrying out his purposes, is very, very strategic, very, very organized to carry out his plans. There's a demonic army at work here, and he uses specific strategies. Now, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6 and verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. The word tactics in this verse is the word for strategies. And so you realize again that the devil does not work haphazardly. He's got strategies that he's trying to accomplish through his army of demons. It's a very calculated thing. Now, on the positive side, there seems to be a hierarchy of demons as, or angels as well. For example, two of the angels in the Bible, we know their names, Michael and Gabriel, and they are called archangels. And this refers to angels of high rank. There are also other kinds of angels that we may touch upon in the future, the seraphim and the cherubim, and they all have different functions. And so even within the angelic realm, you realize that there's a hierarchy. God is over all the angels, but there are some that are called archangels, and they have more authority than others, and they're very, very organized in terms of what they want to accomplish. Let's consider our fourth question this morning, though. Who is Satan? Well, the first time that I believe that Satan is introduced in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3, where we read about the temptation of Adam and Eve. 
I'd like for us to read this beginning in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. Now, I recognize in reading this that there's no reference here to the devil or Satan. So why do we believe that Satan was involved here? Well, first of all, this very concept of a talking serpent is something that we know isn't part of creation. That since the devil is invisible, it appears that he inhabited this creature in order to speak to Adam and Eve. But the other reason we believe this is the devil here is because he's referred to in the Bible in other places as being a serpent or a snake. For example, we read in Revelation 12 and verse 9, that toward the end of the age, Satan is going to be thrown out of heaven. Let's read what John wrote about this. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Notice he's called here the great dragon and the ancient serpent, the ancient snake. And this is clearly a reference to the devil. Now, there are two other names, though, that are given to the devil in this verse. One of them is the word devil itself, and the other one is Satan. So what do these words mean? Of course, we're talking about the same individual, this serpent, this dragon, the devil, the Satan. It's one creature that's been created by God. Well, the word devil literally means slanderer. And so we realize about the devil that one of his main functions is to slander or to accuse. He loves to do that. Now, we have an example of this in the Old Testament if you look at the Old Testament book of Job, where the devil went to God and he made an accusation against Job. The accusation went this way. He said to God, the only reason that Job follows you, the only reason he worships you and he lives the way he does is because you've blessed him so much. You've protected him, you've put a hedge of protection around him, and you've blessed him in every way. But if you remove your blessing from him, he'll turn on you. You know, he'll curse you to your face. And that was an accusation, it was slander. It was slandering Job's character, and this is something the devil loves to do. He loves to accuse Christians before God. Look at this description that's found in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, where Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have now come because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. He's called the accuser of the brothers and he accuses believers before God, it says day and night. I don't think there's anything that the devil loves to do more than just to accuse and rail against Christians, especially when, they're, when they've fallen in some area of sin. I think he loves to go to God and say, hey, isn't this one one of yours? Isn't this someone who claims to be a Christian and he did this or she did that? 
And look how your name is being blasphemed because of what this person did. That's the kind of thing the devil loves to do. Now, it's encouraging for me to realize that while the devil's accusing us, Jesus is defending us. In 1 John chapter 2, we read that even when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so you realize that even as the devil is accusing us, we've got Jesus Christ, who is our advocate, who is defending us. Now, one thing I want us to realize about this, this term devil, that it means, of course, accuser or slander, is that when we slander other believers, we're, be like, we're being like the devil. That's what the word means. And so when we slander someone, when we put down another believer, when we falsely accuse another Christian, we are being just like the devil. Now, if the word devil means slander, what does the word Satan mean? Well, the word Satan means adversary. And I think Satan, along with death itself, are the two greatest adversaries that humanity has. And of course, the devil used to have the power of death in his hand until Joe, uh, Jesus broke that power when he rose again from the dead. But Satan is an adversary. It's important to understand, though, that he's not just an adversary against Christians. He's an adversary against all the children of Adam and Eve. He hates humanity. He wants nothing more than the destruction of humanity, whether it be death, whether it be a variety of ways in which he's working in this world. He hates humanity and he goes after them. He goes after Christians particularly. He goes after this entire world and he's bent on destruction. I think he despises the fact that Jesus Christ took on flesh and blood and became a human. I think he despises that and that Jesus died for the sins of humanity. And he despises the fact that one day we're going to be with God forever and ever, some, a future that he can't enjoy himself. And so he hates people in general. He hates Christians in particular. So how did Satan become Satan? Our fifth question here. Simply put, he became proud. Ezekiel chapter 28 is a fascinating passage. Although it's describing the fall of the king of Tyre, Tyre was an ancient country. Ezekiel 28 is describing the fall of this king. It, it is doubling as a description of the devil and what happened with him. And you'll see how closely it aligns with the devil. I'd like to read from Ezekiel 28 and then parts of verses 12 13, 15, and 17. Here's what it says. This is what the Lord God says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. From the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. And here's the point. Your heart, verse 17, became proud because of your beauty for the sake of your splendor, you corrupted your wisdom, so I threw you down to the earth. I'm convinced that this is a description of the devil. It references the Garden of Eden. It describes the fact that when he was created, he was blameless, but he was also beautiful. He was also glorious. In fact, I think it was the, glor the most glorious of all of the angelic beings that were created. And he became proud. And therefore, God, it says, threw him down to the earth. Another reference, by the way, that you can look at is Isaiah chapter 14. 
And there's some debate whether or not Isaiah 14 is just a reference to the king of Babylon or if if it doubles as a reference to Satan. I'm convinced it does double as a reference to Satan. And in that verse, he's called actually Lucifer is the word that's used of the devil. And once again, we have a situation where he was in the Garden of Eden where he was cast out because of pride. The sixth question for us this morning is this, what authority does the devil have? Well, he's called the ruler of this world. Now, I don't understand how this works exactly, but it seems like when Adam and Eve listened to the devil and they gave into the temptation and they ate from the tree from which God said, don't eat from the tree in the center of the garden, that the authority they had to rule the world was somehow passed on to the devil. Humanity still is supposed to be managing the world, but at a certain point, Satan was given the authority to rule the world. And Jesus actually calls him by this title, the ruler of this world, in John 14 and verse 30. Let me read it. I will not talk with you much longer, Jesus is saying to his disciples, I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. And so he's acknowledging that Satan is called the ruler of this world. He was coming. He said, of course, I'm greater than the devil. He has no power or authority over me. But that is still what he is. Paul uses a similar description in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where we read, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. He's describing the fact that all people are born into sin and that spiritually we're regarded here in this verse as being spiritually dead, that we don't have the spiritual life of God in us. We don't get that until we put our faith in Christ. But something that Paul is noting here is that before we become Christians, we are actually part of Satan's kingdom. And we're walking according to what he wants us to be doing, according to what it says is the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens. In other words, he's ruling here on the earth. You remember when Jesus was tempted... One of the temptations was that Satan took him on a high mount to a high mountain and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan said to Jesus, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms. Well, I believe that Satan actually had the authority to do that. Now, I suspect had Jesus bowed down, Satan is known for lying and he probably wouldn't have done it. But in either case, it suggests that he had the authority over the world. And that's very significant for us to realize that, that he's the ruler of this world. Why? Because Satan is working through the various worldly institutions out there to carry out his purposes. And we need to be mindful of that. For example, he works through the government. I'm not just talking about our government. I think all governments, Satan is working through the governments to carry out his purposes. And sometimes it's through governments that are killing their own citizens. Sometimes it's through deceit in various ways, but he works through the government. I think Satan also works through the education system all the way through to the highest levels of education. Satan obviously is at work within that whole system trying to accomplish his purposes. I think of the entertainment industry as well, where Satan is at work 
trying to bring about his purposes through these various institutions. And so as the ruler of this world, he's very, very busy trying to accomplish his purposes. Now, what I'm about to say at this point, I think is gonna surprise some of you, but I think that the devil, Satan, has more power and more authority than the two archangels we read about in the Bible, Michael and Gabriel. And this is something that you find in Jude chapter one, beginning in verse nine, but let me set the context for this. Jude, of course, is uh, the, it's the, the, the smallest book in the Bible. It's located right before the book of Revelation, and Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. But he tells an interesting story that involves the body of Moses. I think of all the people who have ever died, the one who gets the prize as having the most unusual burial was Moses. Moses was buried by God. And he's the only one that God actually got his hands dirty, it seems, burying Moses. But apparently, after Moses was buried, Satan wanted to dig up the body. And you say, why would he want to do that? Well, presumably, he would want to bring the body back to the Israelites because he knew that they would worship it, that they'd set up a shrine to it. But before he could dig up the body, Satan was confronted by one of the archangels, Michael. This discussion that the two of them had is recorded in Jude 1 and verse 9. What I want you to notice is how respectful Michael was. Reading in verse 9, yet Michael the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil in a debate about Moses' body, did not dare bring an abusive condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. See how that's worded here. It says he did not dare bring an abusive condemnation against him. He said instead, the Lord rebuke you. Because he recognized that the devil had a certain amount of authority and power, that he was this chief angel. And so I see here, even though Satan is evil, I see a certain amount of respect that Michael had toward him. He recognized the devil's authority and power. Now, the reason that Jude told this story was because in Jude's day, there were some teachers out there, some false teachers who were, were speaking against angelic beings. And so in the verse that comes right before the one I just read about Moses' body, in Jude 1.8, we read, nevertheless, these dreamers likewise defile their flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme glorious ones. It's a reference to angels. In fact, specifically demons here. They're called glorious ones. In other words, these teachers were talking about things they didn't understand and did not recognize the power and the authority that the devil and his demons had. The last question I'd like to raise this morning comes out of this one, though, and it's one that's probably came to some of your minds. Do we have authority over the devil? I think the answer to that question is yes and no. Let me explain what I mean. Last week, I quoted from Ephesians chapter 2, 14 and 15. I'd like to read it again. We read, now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. And so it says here, Jesus took on flesh and, and he died so that he might destroy the devil, the one who's holding death. What we need to understand from this verse or these verses is that the word destroy does not mean annihilate. Annihilate. 
here. It means to disarm. It means to bring to nothing. Dr. Zane Hodges explains it this way. The author did not mean that Satan ceased to exist or to be active. Rather, the word he used for destroy indicates the annulment of his power over those whom Christ redeems. Let me read that again. The author did not mean Satan ceased to exist or to be active. That's not what it means. Rather, the word he used for destroy indicates the annulment of his power over those whom Christ redeems. When we become Christians, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We're transferred into Christ's kingdom, and so the devil no longer has any authority over us. What I want us to understand, though, is this. He still has power, and he can still exercise that power against Christians, but he has no authority. He cannot tell us what to do. James put it this way in James 4 and verse 7, therefore submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. The good news is that he has to flee from us if we resist the devil. The devil in his power and authority may tempt us. And by the way, when I talk about the devil, I don't necessarily mean the devil himself. I'm referring to all that he's managing. And so when we say the devil tempts us, obviously the devil's got bigger fish to fry. He's out with more important people and situations, but when we talk about the devil impacting us, we're talking about his demons and his host. But the good news is, if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And one day, we're even gonna judge angels. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse three, we read, don't you know we will judge angels not to mention ordinary matters? The thing is, this is not gonna happen until after Jesus reigns for a thousand years on the earth. We believe Jesus is coming back. He's gonna reign for a thousand years. At the end of that time, there's gonna be one final battle with the devil and then he's gonna be cast into hell forever after that. We'll never have to deal with him again. But in the meantime, although he does not have authority over our lives, he still exercises a tremendous amount of power. He is still at work in and through us. And so we need to know how to confront that. And in the weeks ahead, we'll be talking about that. So what do we want to do with this? Well, again, today I was trying to lay primarily a foundation. I don't want us to be afraid. We do not need to be afraid of the devil or demons. We do have a power over them. We have the spirit of God in us. Greater is he who's in us than he's who is in the world. At the same time, we cannot take the battle lightly where Paul said, we do have a struggle. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against this hierarchy of demons. And it's very, very real. The struggle is very real. And we need to learn how to confront that struggle. And so angels and demons do exist and they impact our world. I don't mean just the world, but our world in very specific ways. Now, the last thing I want to mention this morning is this, that some of you maybe are not part of Christ's kingdom And I think it's important again to realize this. After Adam and Eve sinned, all those who've been born after them were born into sin. We all have a sin nature. And therefore, we're part of Satan's kingdom. And we are part of his kingdom until we're actually transferred into Christ's kingdom at the point we put our trust in Jesus to be our savior. And so if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. To recognize that we've all sinned against God We've all blown it and we need a savior, a deliverer. And this is why God sent his son into this world to defeat both the devil and sin and death. 
And when we put our trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, we become children of God. We are brought into Christ's kingdom. It's the kingdom of light. And we now have the spirit of God in us and the power and the authority over the evil ones. And so if you've never put your trust in Christ, I encourage you to do so today. And if you'd like to know more about that, you can ask us about it, text us about it. We have some booklets we can send to you uh, that would explain how a person begins a relationship with God through faith in Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that greater is the one who's in us, the spirit, your spirit, than the one who's in this world. And although the Satan has a lot of authority in this world, he, has, he really does not have this authority over us because we're part of your kingdom. And we have overcome the evil one. But we do want to be mindful of his schemes. As Paul said, we should not be ignorant of the way he works. And so in the days ahead, O oh Lord, I just pray you give us real understanding on how to confront this enemy, how to take more ground for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.